said, watching this thing about the, I, I, I will get the name of it and I will highlight it maybe this week or next week on the Prophecy Update. It is horrifying to see what humans can do. And that's the one thing that keeps going through my mind every time I see another picture of bodies piled up on top of each other is corruption. That's everything in this life. I keep thinking, we're corrupt in here, we're corrupt at what we look at, we're corrupt at what we do, and we're corrupt when we die. Everything about this life is utter corruption, and I can't wait to be away from it. Yes? This is one question I was going to ask. Uh, they have moody commentary. You called in on Saturday. Right. But I have you, so this is it. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, <laughs> if you being evil know how to give good gifts. Right. Okay, this was before we had the Holy Spirit. Yep. We still have that fallen nature. Yes. So basically, even though we have the, the Spirit of God living in us, or uh, holy, we still have the evil nature, right? You bet we do. Okay. I, I, I'm a perfect witness to that. Just ask Edigo well, on any given day of the week. But I didn't know if we could still say, because Jesus didn't pull no punches when he said, if you being evil, yes. and that same before this Holy Spirit, because I know we have a fallen nature, yep. but it still has a bent. It's still so in us. We are not going to escape it. And that's why I said at the beginning, Peter, how long was he saved when he, Paul had to call him out? Mm -hmm. And Paul says, don't I inwardly burn? He's acknowledging, he says, everybody sins, and or, or, I'm misquoting it, but then he says that I inwardly burn, implying that I sin. His thoughts are sinful. He never got over that, and he was willing to acknowledge that with pen, you know, right on paper, so that people of the world could say, I feel good that I'm not the only one in this state. Because there are some of these people that, you know, holy Pentecostal holiness that says that you can become perfect in this life. That, and let me tell you what, that is, that is something that will lead people exactly to what I was talking about earlier. Neuroses. Because none of us are there. Anybody that says that, I'm sorry, you, you think way higher than yourself than you ought to. About next April, we'll get to chapter 7. Or oh yeah, chapter 7. Who will free me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Christ well, Jesus. I want to do, I don't do. That's right. That's exactly right. Romans 7. We'll be, well, no, we'll be there next week. We're almost done with verse 7. Okay, a little life application here. Rewards will come to all of God's redeemed based on the level of progression they follow, which is noted in 2 Peter 1. I know that's written outside of Paul's church age letters. It still matters. As it says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's good for reproof and teaching and doctrine, Okay. The doctrine for the church age is Paul's letters, but we can go outside of there to under, you quoted the Psalms earlier, you quoted Job, I quoted uh, Jonah. It's good for doctrine, but we want to stick to, uh, uh, it's good for training and righteousness and all of those things. But um, anyway, 2 Peter 1, 9 does.
wounds and etc. Um, uh, those who are self-seeking can also be rendered as contentious. The Greek translation of the Old Testament renders this same word, self-seeking, which is here in this verse, as rebellious in Deuteronomy 21, verse 20. So let me read you that, and uh, we can go back there. This is the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the same word. Deuteronomy 21, verse 20 says, um, And this they shall say to the elders of this his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. That word, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Let's go back and read this, though, so you understand the context of what I'm saying, because it's a, it's a rather scary passage from the law. If a man has a, has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. Then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city, this is the parents who brought him there, knowing that this was going to happen. All the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now that's a uh, context of man finding fault in man, actually parents finding fault in their child, and that person is stoned. The same word is used in the New Testament from the Greek of the Old Testament in, by Paul saying that this is what you can expect from God if you continue to strive against him. And if man can do that to man, how much worse is it going to be when God does it to you? Right? I'm not saying you personally, I'm saying you in general. So, um, these people have a will directed towards themselves, and which is at contention with God. They hate his divine will and exercise their thoughts, actions, and attitudes against him. What God detests, such as abortion, sexual perversion, or disobedience to parents, is what they pursue, simply because they want to cast off his rule and authority. Now think about it. I was talking about our rewards and how many Christians just don't care. I'm going to live my life the way I want, and you know I, I'm saved, and that's all that matters to me, and I know a million people that have that attitude. They know they're saved, and they just don't care, and I don't understand it, but how much more somebody that isn't saved, and they know there's a God, and they continue to rebel against him. Mm. And you know what? They don't really even think about it. Like I said, I had people walk up to me that I... I this is how blinded you can be in the world, and I may have said this before, and I may not have, but my children went to Temple uh, West Florida Christian School associated with Temple Baptist Church. And the guys of the church would go and meet the parents of the children from time to time. They'd just stop by the house and say, can we talk to you about Jesus, right? And they came by my house and talked to me about the Lord. And they told me this after I met the Lord. And you say, yeah, we came and talked to you one day. And I don't even remember them coming. I had no recollection at all of them coming to my house. That's how blinded we get to the Lord. Somebody comes and wants to tell you about Jesus and it is a complete wall. And I, I have no recollection of that at all. I said to them, what? Yeah, we're three or whatever. And they came. They, you know, we want to talk about Jesus. It, 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 it is a blindness which is almost consuming of everything in life because I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to follow the path which God wants. So that's a perfect example of that for you. Um, so um, they're unwilling to obey the truth, as Paul says in that verse. And so they work out their own set of guidelines for living and conducting their affairs. You see that all the time. Eh, God doesn't care. They, they just make stuff up. I'm a they, good person. I'm a good person. Yeah, that's how many times have you witnessed to somebody, gone and knocked on their door or talked to them at a restaurant or whatever, and you say, can I tell you about Jesus? Well, I'm a good person. First words out of their mouth. First words. 
And what does Jesus say? There is not good. Yeah, and he says that uh, call no one good, right? There's only one that's good. So, but I'm a good person. And they're, what are they doing when they say that? They're basing themselves against themselves. That's right. I'm the standard, and everything else is that guy is less than me. Oh, he's better than me, but I'm not as bad as that guy, so I must be okay. You know, where does that kind of a curve end? Where? Okay. Well, I'm not as good as him, and he says knowledge is it, but I'm not as good as you know. And you just have this thing going through your life day after day, gauging how good is my goodness when. There's no goodness because you have no Christ in you. And therefore, you're infinitely no good to God. Yes. Charlie, the examples that we have of the most righteous people that we look up to from the scriptures, they always forgave everybody for any sin that they did against them. Oh, boy. You know, Jesus did on the cross. The yep. Stephen did when he... But I was thinking of the progression of this because it starts out with the righteous shall live it by faith. And it tells what happens to us if we rebel against God, how far we can sink. But when it gets into this about God's righteous judgment, it's telling us all are going to be judged. Everybody. Everybody. That's right. And that we shouldn't be looking down. I mean, love the sinner, but hate the sinner. Well, sin. that's right. I mean, it's what he's really But as far as our personal judgment, yeah. we're all right. going to face judgment. We're all going to face and judgment. And it's either going to be at the cross, which right. means I've already faced right. my judgment, or it's going to be... A reward. That's right. Our judgment is going to be separate from unbelievers. But yeah. you're right. That, that's right. But we're all going to face judgment. For right. our salvation, that is either going to be at the great white throne and you're not going to make it, or it's going to be at the foot of the cross during your life and you will make it. And then after that, but once again, it, it, it goes the same way with hell. Okay, people that are going to be cast into hell, and we know that's going to happen. I'm not one to dwell on it. It's not my subject. But... Um, uh, not everybody that goes to hell is going to be treated the same, right? There, th your time in hell is going to be based on what you did with your life as well, okay? And so in, in, Jesus says that, he who knew to do good and doesn't will get many stripes, and uh, he, you know, you know what I'm saying. So, but they are still heading in that direction. They will be eternally separated from God the Father, so, and from all of the goodness of Christ and everything else. But that's, that is true, is that uh, we're all going to face judgment, but as far as judgment for salvation, it's either at the cross or it's in you, one or the other. Yeah, so he's saying not to be a hypocrite. Well, that's, that's right. What, that's what he's talking about is don't, don't be judging these others. Yeah, well, <laughs> because we're, that, that, that one we've got to be careful with, is, because in, in um, Matthew chapter 7, when he says, judge not lest ye be judged, he is speaking of a chronic attitude of the heart. He's speaking of people that go around and say, well, you shouldn't be doing this thing, when they're doing the same thing. And that's what we talked about earlier in, in this chapter in Romans, is that when we make ourselves the base, the basis the, of, of the Jesus, judgment, yeah. that's right. But we are to make right moral judgments always, and that is based on this. And so if we have you know, somebody that's acting in a perverse manner, we are to judge them on that. We're not to withhold that judgment. And people love to use Matthew 7, 1 and 2 against you. And they say, well, judge not lest you be... One, that's out of context. And two, it has nothing to do with making... Hang on. Yes? Didn't you tell us don't, we can't judge their motive because we don't know it, but we can judge their actions? Actions. Absolutely. And that's what we are to do. We are to make right moral actions all the time. And Jesus, one paragraph after saying, judge not lest ye be judged, tells us to make right moral judgments. Don't cast your uh, pearls to the pigs and on and on. 
We are to make moral judgments, but they're to be based on this, not on our own personal, you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing that. And, and hang on, you next. Oh. Uh, just uh, judgment. <coughs> if you're a judge, you are... Supposed to be, with, that's right, you, you are, a standard. You are convicting and then sentencing. That's right. None of us. That's none, none of, of us sentence anybody. We'll never judge. Judging is not judgment. Discernment is another Discernment thing. or judgment. That's yes, right. Right, right. You are to say, okay, this this is good. This is better. This is worse. This is the worst. That's and right. So, you know, you have to be able to. And churches are to make judgments become judgments. In other words, we say what you're doing is wrong and get out of this church. Right. And we're required right. to do that. But you're right. We are not the ultimate arbiter of what they're doing. Christ will handle that. But we are to make those moral judgments. Dale. There's so many God-haters today. Oh my God. 20 years ago, you could say something about God and they would respect you. Mm. Sure. sin was fun and they didn't want to give it up, but they would choose that based on this information, if you receive Christ, do you know how to do it? Yes. Or today, they will tell you right flat to your face, if there is a God, that's I right. will have nothing to do with him because he's not just. He's not fair, and he's not And that's right. because of exactly what we were talking about earlier, yeah, the, the, the people in the seminaries that are putting that into people's heads, and, like and people in churches. Hospital. With the little children, yep. you have all kind of like leukemia, all kind of hardship, the poverty. You go to Haiti, and all these places. There's people who depart from the faith over that. That's all right. right. And the sovereignty of God. They don't, and that is the most important issue that I can think of is understanding the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. If somebody dies... For whatever reason, or if they're given a long and happy life, that is his choice. And, and you know what? If today I have a house and I've got a wife and I've got you know friends and all of the things that I have in this life, hey, great. And if I lose everything tomorrow, what does Job say? Naked I came from the womb. Naked I'm going to return there. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be. Absolutely. That's right. You all should fail, but the fruit should be cut off from the vine. The fields produce no food. Yet I will do what? I will exalt in the Lord. That's right. We we have to understand the sovereignty of God, and if we do that, then all of those little side issues that we don't understand, like the children in Haiti, God's taking care of that. Amen. He is fair. He is perfectly just. Okay. Um, so where are we? Um, uh, disobedience. Okay, we got that, and they're unwilling to obey the truth. I got that. In this they yield to sin and let it consume them. This, of course, fits most people to some degree, but this is speaking of those who stubbornly knock on sin's door and allow it to lead their steps. Instead of light, they live by darkness. For those who pursue this path, there is but one end, which Paul says is indignation and wrath. This phrase comes from the Greek thumos ke orge. This is an expression of God's actual hatred of sin, which results in an outpouring of his anger, as is displayed in divine judgment. The indignation indicates what we would perceive as internal, the thing which displeases God. The wrath, then, is the manifestation of that displeasure in his action. In other words, he has indignation of what you're doing, the wrath comes eventually. And as we've seen, the Lord is long-suffering. This isn't something that he just arbitrarily acts vindictively. He loves the work of his hands. He loves his creatures. He wants all to repent. Lee Strobel, once again, we've talked about him before. Man, he was ACLU. He was a lawyer with the ACLU. He, God could have taken out indignation and wrath on him anytime. The indignation was there, but he withheld the wrath, and he knew that Lee Strobel would eventually call on Christ and that he would receive God's mercy, right? and that he would be saved, and that he would become a great author, an apologist, a judicial apologist for the Lord. 
So God isn't unfair. He's not arbitrary. But we have to understand. The what? I don't think that was Strobel. Yeah, Lee Strobel. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He was an ACLU lawyer. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. I thought he was just a journalist. I didn't know that. No. Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm certain that I'm speaking of the right person. Somebody please check that out, and uh, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll correct that, but I am certain that it was Lee Strobel. Anyway, um, uh, those who act contrary to God may think that they have the upper hand or free reign to snub him, and the more they snub him, the more free reign they think they have, right? The more that you put your hand up in God's face and he doesn't do anything about it, you think, I got it made. I've got it made. He's not there. He's not there. He's not doing it. You know what? What was it? I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a second to remember this. Um, one of the arrogant people that has this attitude, and he said, I'm going to prove that God doesn't exist. And I'm trying to think of his name. He was in a class, and he said, um, uh, it, it, talk about small-minded. Uh, and I may be blowing this a little bit because it's not coming back to me right now. But he was in a class or in a conference, and uh, somebody, you'll remember if I was to say it, and he says, I'm going to prove that God doesn't exist. And he said, if God exists, I want him to kill me right now, or something like that. And then nothing happened, and everybody laughed, and they got their big joke out of it. And they said, see, God doesn't exist. Because if he did, is, is God to bow to that man's will? Is that what he expects? Because that's a pretty small God if that's what he thinks. But that is the, the attitude that he was displaying. And that's the kind of guy that puts his fist up in the face, and then he goes to another conference, and he does it again. And every time he does it, he's bolstered in his, his confidence that this God doesn't exist until the day he dies. And then one second later, he's going to say, ooh, was I wrong, right? Well, look at all the uh, celebrities world who have snubbed their... You bet. Last well, uh, God, and, and all of them have had, like, the worst of... Well, you know, and there are a bunch of basket cases because they live their lives in that manner. And you're right. They have all of these. There, there's more There's there's more divorces. There's more suits against these people. It, but they're movie stars. And so their life is so good. And I wouldn't want to be a movie star for all the tea in China. And that's probably a lot of tea because people always use that expression. I've never been to China. Well, actually, mainland China. I've been to the new territories. But anyway, I didn't see any tea there. But if there's a lot of tea in China, it wouldn't be worth being a movie star. They're the, they, they, they are glamorous in exterior only, and everything about them is corrupt. Well, so if a person don't have fear of God, and he said, first of all, or what was it, 14.1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning of wisdom. Beginning. If you don't have fear of God, that you, you can rashly You have no wisdom. None. Everything That's in your life is just animal instinct. All and respect and all who he was. And yeah. Man. Okay, so here's what it says. Those who act contrary to God may think that they have the upper hand or free reign to snub him, but as it says in Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Very good. Burke got it. In the end, there will only be terror for those who fail to repent and bow the knee before their creator. End of story for them. Life application. God has shown us what leads to life and happiness and what leads to death and condemnation. He's done it through nature and he's he had further shown it to us in his word. Take time to meditate upon what you perceive as morally right and morally wrong and then compare it to his word. I wish every Christian would do that. How many fights have we had on Facebook with supposed Christians that I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton because I don't like Trump and it doesn't matter what her stand is on murdering people, on it, it didn't make any difference to them at all. None. They have no moral basis in their life. None. Because they've never picked us up and said, I'm going to get to... Yes. You said her. Her. What is it? Who? <laughs> Who's her? Her was on Facebook. 
Oh, I don't know. Him, her, whatever. I, I see. I, I, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but I do know a person that right now, I post the Prophecy Update on the Superior Word website every week, and somebody's been, like, posting this stuff, you know? And I don't know who they are, but it's uh, the first thing they did was post a video about why it's okay to be transgender, right? And so I just, I didn't even comment on it. I thought, I'm not, you know. And then they came back with this thing and says, well, you know, they're going through this process of rationalization why it's okay. They say, I'm not gay, but I'm transgender. And I was born looking like a guy or a girl, whatever they're saying. You can go read it if you want. It's right on the Superior Word website, the last Prophecy Update I, I, I posted. And they're going through all of this rationalization as to why they can do these things. And I just very clearly said, you know what, God's Word says this, and you know, I'm not your judge. I can tell you, that, and they're saying, well, I'm, a, I'm a, a server in the Episcopal Church. And I said, you know, if you're trying to find out if what you're doing is right and wrong, you're in the very last place on this planet. That you, I didn't say that, but that, you know, that, that is the last place that I would be is in the Episcopal Church. And I did tell him that. I said, that church is completely apostate. Whatever you're learning there has nothing to do with the Word of God. All right? And then they posted four or five more times today, which I've not had time to look at. But you know what? People just need to pick this up and say, either this is what it says it is or it is not. And if it is, I better accept it. And if it's not, then it doesn't matter. Uh, let us uh, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. doesn't make any difference. Anyway, um, finish up the life application. If there's a conflict between the two, what is morally right and wrong, and then you compare it to his word, if there's a conflict between the two, then it is you who needs to adjust. God is clear, but we often misunderstand, whether willfully or whether, you know, unintentionally because we haven't read God's word or because we were trained by this teacher that says this. And I understand there are a million churches out there and they look at the exact same verses and they come to different conclusions. Why does that happen? Because somebody comes in with a presupposition. I've got him in my life. Listen, when I met the Lord, I read the Bible and I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it. I read it a million times. And when I went home, I'd watch things on TV. And this guy would say this and this guy would say this. Hal Lindsey talked about Israel being God's people. And then I'd watch somebody like, um, I'm trying to think of who it is, and they'd say, well, no, the church is God's people. And I would have to think in my own mind, without having any preconceived notions, what does the Bible tell me? Because I've read it 800 times now. I'm, that's way exaggeration, folks. But anyway, what I'm saying is that I have to say, do I agree with this or do I agree with this? That was very evident, very evident to me that if you pick up the Bible and you have nobody teaching you, mm. nobody teaching you what the Bible says about Israel, you just simply read it from beginning to end. And, you know, you might have to read it five or six times because, you know, it's just hard to grasp you're going to come to the conclusion that God is not through with Israel. You're going to come to the conclusion that God has a plan and a purpose for them. You have to have that trained out of you. Now, I don't care what anybody says. They can say that's not true. It is true. It is completely true because if you take this at face value, I was having that conversation with Dieter who used to come here, and he, he said, it, it's so evident. And he's in this church that completely teaches the opposite. I, I don't understand it. It is so evident that God is not done with Israel if you just take this word at face value. And you have to do that with every single aspect of this word because there are people that will teach, once again, somebody right here, I won't point out who he or she is, but they asked about the Nephilim this morning. Somebody was saying that Nephilim are angels sleeping with people and they made giants and all that. That is so far from Scripture. That is so far from Scripture that I can't believe that people come to that conclusion. But one, it's sensational. 
Two, it's very popular, and so you hear it, and if you don't know the rest of the Bible, you're going to come to the conclusion, oh yes, angels slept with man, and I'm going to go through all of this, this long, confused theology to come to that conclusion. Go watch my sermon, and if you disagree with me, you disagree with me. But it's very clear what the Bible says about the Nephilim, okay? It is not big giants that were a, a hybrid of humans and angels. It has nothing to do with that. Okay, but once again, I could be wrong. People come at these things differently, but I'm not wrong. I'm completely correct on the Nephilim and in Israel. The other part I'm wrong about, the one I didn't talk about. Okay, um, so uh, let's see here. End of life application. Yes, verse 2-9. Jews and Gentiles. They will be troubled and distressed for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, and then for the Jew. Okay. Now what was he doing at the beginning of this chapter? He says, therefore, you are excusable, O man. He makes it a general statement. And he starts making these things. And now in verse 9, he introduces Jew and Gentile. Like he's making a point that this falls over everybody. He still hasn't singled out the Jews yet. But that is what he's getting ready to do later in this chapter. Where is he... Um, uh, uh, he, he definitely brings it up in 27, but anyway, somewhere... 17. What's that? 17. 17, yes, indeed you were called a Jew. So he's setting up his own people right now. He's setting them up to show them that they are on exactly the same level as the Gentiles when it comes to salvation in Christ and to all of the things that pertain to godliness and holiness, etc. They're on the same level, Okay. He's now beginning to introduce that. He didn't do it yet because he wants the, his people, who he desperately loves, to understand this. And if you follow it logically and methodically, you'll say, oh, I guess this pertains to me too. I'm a Jew, but it still pertains to me. He makes it explicit in verse 17, and then he comes down on them in a, a way that they will not want to hear if they're hard-headed later in about verses um, uh, 27 and 28, 29. Well, we'll get there in a minute. Okay, to the Jew first, verse uh, 2-9. The uh, verse continues the anticipated rewards for the deeds mentioned in the previous verse. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. The consequences of unrepentant sin are twofold. Suffering in this life and suffering in the next. The, the consequences go for both of them. If you have unrepentant sin in your life, something that the Lord says, don't do this. It is contrary to his desires for you. That's why we suffer in this life, is because he says, don't. What does Paul say about being anxious? Yes, for, nothing. for nothing, right? If you're anxious, who's, who's, who's harmed? You are. God isn't harmed. Are you, you going to harm God when you're anxious about something, Beth? No. No, of course not. But you're sitting there stewing over things, and you're thinking, oh, you're the one that gets the ulcer. You're the one that gets the, the, you know, the, the blood clot, and you die. God says, be anxious for nothing because it is what is right for you. It's not that he wants to be a burden on you and an ogre over you and say, you are anxious and so I'm going to punish you. It's because it's harmful to who you are. And I'm the one that needs to learn that lesson more than anybody because I'm anxious about everything. I am always stressed right to the end of the, the day. And I don't mean anxious about things that are going to happen. You can't control that. But, you know, I'm going to get through the day today. I mean, there's a lot to be done every single day. And so if that's anxiety, I have it. But we're not to be anxious for anything. Just let it go. Everything will fit into its place, and it always does. Um, but we're the ones that suffer. So um, the consequences of unre unrepentant sin are twofold. Suffering in this life, suffering in the next. The next life, you didn't trust me, you lose rewards. Or you didn't believe in me, and off to heck you go, right? One way or another. Along with indignation and wrath comes tribulation. We talked about that. 
Uh, this is the word thalipsis. And the verb carries a sense of pressing, such as when crushing grapes. So think of what happens when you have a grape and you, you, you crush it. It just squeezes out and that's the end of it. That is what we can expect, all right? It's pressure, crushing grapes. Um, this then is the pressure and despair which occurs after sin is committed, which should occur after sin is committed, perhaps getting an incurable disease resulting from sexual immorality, okay? Anxiety is one thing, sexual immorality is another. You're the one that suffers the consequences of that action, all right? You're not gonna harm the guy down the road. You're not gonna harm God. You're not gonna harm, you know, your dog. You're the one that's going to suffer from doing what you did. And not only that, but now you've got to worry. If you were married, is she going to find out? You know, everything just multiplies itself. When you sin, everything multiplies around that sin. And this is what God wants you to avoid. He's trying to make it easy on us by telling us these things. Okay, so you get the incurable disease. This would be magnified if the sinner passed that on to his loved ones, right? I've gotten this disease, and now I've given it to my wife, and then my wife, you know, did a blood transfusion with my daughter who was in a car accident, now she's got it. All of this just multiplies because you were too greedy to say, that's not mine. I'm not going to do that thing. And this is what happens with sin. It multiplies. It always goes the next step, all right? Another example may be receiving a death sentence for committing a crime. The pressure of what is coming becomes an overwhelming and crushing misery. And guess what? Mom and dad have to watch you get executed. The girl that you were going to marry isn't going to marry you now, and she's going to spend the rest of her life wondering what it would have been like because you killed somebody, because you lost your anger. And it, 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 sin multiplies the consequences to everything. It infects everything around you, and it harms everything. You think of how is this going to affect everything in my life, and then don't do it, right? But we don't. When sin comes knocking at the door, instead of being like Joseph and running out, we say, okay, well, maybe I'll just get a little closer and a little closer, and pretty soon it's consumed us. The what? Tunnel. Tunnel vision. That's exactly right. Okay, then he has the word anguish. Comes from the Greek stenochoria. This is a word used exclusively by Paul, and it comes from two different words. Stenos, meaning narrow, and hora, meaning space. So you get the idea. You're being closed in. You're being, you're in it. Closed in space. The thought here might be something like being buried alive in a coffin, mm. right? Imagine that because of your sin. There's no room to move and only complete anguish of the soul. Okay, I'm going to read you something. I love to quote this guy. I don't do it often because I used to read him. I, I've said this. I used to read Edgar Allan Poe every single year. Mm -hmm. I read the full works of Poe every year. My favorite author until I met the Lord and then he became my favorite author. And I haven't read Poe since, but... I do remember what I read under Poe. Where's the Bible? If I don't read it every day, I forget it. I'm telling you, that's why I read the Bible every single day is because I cannot retain this, the immensity of this book. All right? But here's Edgar Allan Poe, a master of understanding the terrors of the human mind, wrote these words in the premature burial. He says, and now amid all my, think of your sin. Okay, as you, I'm reading this, all right? And what it's done to your life. And now amid all my infinite miseries came the sweet... Uh, came sweetly the cherub hope. For I thought of my precautions. I writhed and made spasmodic exertions to force the lid open. It would not move. I felt my wrists for the bell rope. It would not be found. And now the comforter fled forever. And a still sterner despair reigned triumphant. For I could not help perceiving the absence of the paddlings which I had so carefully prepared. 
And then two, there came suddenly to my nostrils the strong, peculiar odor of moist earth. The conclusion was irresistible. I was not within the vault. I had fallen into a trance while absent from home, while among strangers, when or how I could not remember. And it was they who had buried me as a dog, nailed up in some common coffin, and thrust deep, deep, and forever into some ordinary and nameless grave. As this awful conviction forced itself thus into the innermost chambers of my soul, I once again struggled to cry aloud. And in the second endeavor I succeeded, a long, wild, and continuous shriek or yell of agony resounded through the realms of the subterranean night. That's what sin does to us. It just closes us in. And everything, just it's stenochoria. You're in a confined space and you can't get out of it. Think of, you know, think of Bill Clinton. He tells a lie. And he's got to tell another lie. And he's got to tell it. And pretty soon he's in this space where he can't, no matter which way he turns, he's stuck. The president of the United States had to sit there in front of these people and say, that depends on what is, is. Right? Because of sin. That is where we are with sin in our lives. We've got to be careful about it. We've got to keep control over it. We've got a couple more paragraphs and we'll be done. He's punished. He got Hillary. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> he got punished, all right. He's, he was punished the day he met that lady. Um, this anguish of eternal hopelessness is just and due penalty for every soul of man who does evil. In other words, what I just read you, something like being in an eternal... When the Bible speaks of heaven, when David writes about it in the Psalms, or when Jesus speaks about it, it's always an open place, right? But he uses this terminology. He says that narrow is the path to get there, right? And then you get to this wide open space where you don't have any fear, right? But what does he say about hell? It's confining. It's a confined space, but broad is the path that takes you there. So you've got this broad path that sends you into this stenochoria, this closed space, and yet you have heaven where you can stretch your arms out and you can say, this is great, right? You've got all that room, and yet it was a very narrow path to get there. The wisdom of God is amazing. It's amazing, and the Bible is consistent on this. Lead me out into the broad spaces, David says. That's where I want to be. Okay. This thing, um, so uh, the opposite is reflected in the Bible as well. In David's writings, he uses the terminology several times to reflect what can be expected for those who trust in the Lord. Instead of a narrow confinement, there will be ease of movement in spacious places. Let me read you one of them. Uh, let's see here. Psalm 118, verses 5 and 6 says, and I may have just quoted it anyway. 118, 5 and 6. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me, yes, and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right? Broad place. He speaks about it in the Old Testament, and Paul writes about it in the New. And yet, in what is the most ironic twist of all, oh my goodness, this is what I just told you all. Jesus tells us that to reach the broad spaces of salvation, there is only a narrow gate. Likewise, to be sentenced to the torturous confines of eternity, apart from God, there is a wide and easy path one may tread on. That's Matthew 7. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And that doesn't mean, you know, that, that is being taken out of Jesus speaking to these people under the law, right? It doesn't apply in the way that people often say that, that, you know, there's this narrow way, and they, they try to apply, apply that to the uh, New Testament and say, well, you're not really saved, or whatever. 
Jesus is the narrow way. That's what Jesus was telling the people under the law. There's this narrow path that you're going to have to take. David understood that narrow path that led to the broad places. It was faith in God's provision. For him, it was looking forward to what God would do in the Messiah. For us, it's looking back on what God has done in the Messiah. But for the whole world, they say that many paths lead to... To heaven. To heaven, right? And that's what people want to believe. But Jesus says there is one. It's not that it's hard to make it. It's just that it's very limited in making it. And so, so it's simple. It's so simple that that's people so don't want to do it. They want to work their way to heaven. It's humbling. Yeah. It's, it's too humbling to say, I can't do it myself and I want Jesus. And that's the problem. So um, uh, in the end, the choice is up to us. And it includes all people, as he notes, of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Jews had their chance. David understood that. Some of them in Israel didn't. Now it's up to the Gentile church. And any Jew that is in the world today has to come to God through Christ Jesus. They can't look forward to the law and what's coming. They're looking for their Messiah to come. And when he comes, guess what? He's going to be the Antichrist, right? Um, wait, he says that what? In John chapter 6? Let me see if I can find that really quickly. Maybe not, but um, he says... Um, uh, come down, you believe. Um, he says, um, let me see if I can find this here. He, he, he's talking to him, and he says that uh, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. He says, maybe it's not John chapter 6. He says, uh, you don't believe me, but that there's one who, uh, you know, whatever. And Oh, is this it? Um, Father, give me for I... Uh, goodness gracious, I'll find the verse, and uh, I'll, I'll say it to you, but... Um, most assuredly, anyone who's seen me said, God, learn the Father comes to me. I'm the, I know that it's right here, and I'm just my eyes are passing over it. But um, um, I come in my Father's name, and you do not believe. help me. Yeah, believe me. But if another one, comes, another comes in uh, His name, and you'll receive. believe Him. Yeah, and that's exact. That's it. So anyway, if you know where that verse is, that's the one I'm thinking of. Is that He is telling them in advance, I am the the way. I come in my Father's name, and you don't believe me. And that pertains to Jews before, it pertains to Jews now, it pertains to Gentiles. Every person must believe in Christ Jesus, okay? So, anyway, um, uh, okay, life application, and then we're going to be done. Is eternal confinement and misery worth a moment of sin? It is by far better to confine oneself now in this life than to lack in our eternal home. And it is surely better to reject a broad and spacious life of sin in order to gain eternal release in a paradise of glory. As you walk through life today, consider that each choice bears eternal consequences. Even if you are saved, your rewards will be lessened by following the wrong path now. Stay in tune with the Spirit and allow Him to fill you and guide you. And once again, as we close, being filled with the Spirit. Do you know, I, I say this week after week, and a uh, perfect example of this, I say that you have all the Spirit that you're ever going to get. You're never going to get any more than the moment you're saved. Being, uh, uh, being filled with the Spirit is passive. It's not something that you actively do. And I say that charismatics always treat it that way. And guess what? I clicked on Charisma Magazine, which is online. I clicked on that uh, yesterday to read an article. And before I could get to the article, it came up with one of those pop-up things that yeah. they have. And it says, do you want more of the Spirit? <laughs> I clicked off that. I didn't even bother with it. You're never going to get more of the Spirit. You are going to get... He is going to get more of you as you read his word, as you study his word, as you praise him, as you do the things that he asks you to do, you will get more of the Spirit. You're never going to get more of the Spirit. He will get more of you. Anyway, so we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. And uh, I'm going to pick on Tom today. 
You got to pray really loud back there. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Heavenly Father, as always, it's just so good to, to stand here, Charlie Lord, and, and just listen to your word as uh, you reveal it to him, Lord, and he reveals it to us. And just uh, ask that you just continue to bless him and use him as you see fit, Lord. And I would pray that for each and every one of us here, Lord. Just for thy will to be done in our life. Pray the same. So I have the pleasure every single Saturday of my life of hearing him pray, and I love his prayers. They're to the point, they're direct, and uh, I tell you, it's a real treat. So uh, anyway, we'll go ahead and close. Let me, yes. Uh, Lee Strobel, from what I can see, was the legal, uh, foremost um, legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. Chicago Tribune. Doesn't yes. say anything about ACLU? Not that I could find. Okay. Josh, maybe Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, maybe? He was a lawyer. Was he a lawyer? Okay, well, anyway, a uh, went off. Live, live went off again. Happened today, and that's Sergio telling me that right now. Let me go ahead and uh, uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, it's off. Let me find out what Sergio said. And he said, "Caution, live stream button is off, but stream is working. Call me after you're done." Okay, so let me uh, hang on a sec. Apparently, we're still going, and I want everybody to say goodbye to everybody. So, how do I do this? I go to sermon. Okay, and we're apparently still streaming, so I'm gonna have to turn this off when we're done. But Okay, we love you guys. Have a great week. Karen, happy birthday to you. All right, bye-bye. I'm going to turn that off here. Now i got to call Sergio.